Well, if you're in the house, have a seat with us at home. Thanks for joining us. We're glad to be together um, looking at the Word. And I, um, we've been in a series called From, talking about different, uh, different movements that take place. The nearer we get to God, we move from certain things to another. And uh, today we're going we're gonna to continue that series. I, um, I, maybe some might say I have a flair for the dramatic. I don't know. But I have a handful of times in my life where I felt like, really, there was a chance I was going to die. Like, in the moment, I thought death was on me. I've shared a few of those around here. I shared the time I got hit smack dab in the face with a 100-mile-per-hour baseball, and, and I lived to tell about it. Um, I'm going to share another one with you today about the, the time that I was in the back of the red Ford pickup truck. I went to a small school in Florida, um, and those two things right there might tell you everything about the safety measures that you need to know in this story, okay? And, and our small school actually was attached to, like, a conference center, and from time to time, uh, the athletic director slash uh, gym coach would have the boys in gym class. We would gather tables and chairs and set up for different events. And, um, and the chairs were always moved around our campus on this old red pickup truck, okay? Um, and I, don't, I couldn't even give you the year. This story, this, this would have happened in the mid-'80s, 1985, 1986, somewhere in there. So this truck was probably a, a, a 70s model Ford pickup. And, um, and what we did on, on, on these days was we would take the tables, you know, the big, heavy, you know, this is before the plastic ones, right, that are kind of light, these big, heavy um, wooden tables, and we'd put them in the back of the truck and move them around different places on the campus. And on this particular occasion, um, we had, we'd put them on the, in the back of the pickup truck, and, uh, and Coach Wells, who was, who was driving the truck, Coach Wells said to the boys, all right, boys, now climb in the back of the truck, and we'll, we were driving them all the way. We actually had a fairly large campus for a small school. We're driving them across campus, and so why don't you guys hop in and ride? So we did, okay? And, uh, you know, we're... We're not all that bright, and so some of the guys sat uh, along the side on, on the truck, but some of us, myself included, sat on the tables on the truck. And Coach Wells, we needed to make this happen quickly, right? So on this, this, this campus, I, I mean, in my mind, he's going 60 miles per hour. It might have been 16. I don't know. But, but he's moving along, and we hit a bump along the way, and the chairs kind of hop, and we're sitting on them, and this is all fun and games until that top table slides, it hits the tailgate of the old beat-up red truck, the tailgate opens, and chairs start to slide out, and the next thing I know, I see the sky, legs in the air, okay? So maybe life-threatening, maybe not, when you're an 11-year-old boy, it seemed like it, but I kid you not, and this is, what, this is the real reason the story stands out to me, I guess it would have stood out if this didn't happen too, but, but I kid you not, a hand... It's, you know, it's like in the movies. A hand reaches out and grabs my leg, okay? The table continues to move and kind of hits me as it goes by, but I don't hit the ground. I'm kind of grabbing onto the bumper of the truck. They're trying to bang on it and get Coach Wells' attention to stop the truck. But a classmate of mine named Tim, not Timmy, I thought little, you know, boys, Tim, it feels weird to call like an eight-year-old Tim, maybe not, I don't know. But, but Tim grabbed my leg and held me there. Okay? Before I could fall. Now, here's the thing about Tim. Tim, if, if you can have an arch nemesis when you're 11 years old, Tim was my arch nemesis. I got in uh, probably three fist fights in grade school, and two of them were with Tim. Um, we didn't settle anything on the first one, so we had to go another round at some point later on. 
But Tim and I just did not see eye to eye, didn't get along. I thought things about him. I'm sure he thought similar things about me. And again, small school, it was a private school. Tim and I were in school from, from five years old in kindergarten through 17, 18 years old graduating. And I tell you, we had a frosty relationship. But on that day, Tim grabbed my leg and kept me from hitting the ground. And who knows, again, it might have just been scrapes, but in my, in my um, not fully developed frontal lobe brain at that point in time, I thought, he saved my life. He saved my life. And today we're going to talk about something. Um, we're going to talk about the move from death to life. What happens when we realize that death is real, and it's possible, and it's coming, but we move from death to life. So we've been looking in the series at this pattern in the scriptures, this pattern where something is introduced by God, and what we've looked at so far are moments in creation, where, where God introduces something in the pattern of creation, and then it's, it's, it's carried out throughout the rest of the scriptures. And so we looked at, in Genesis chapter 1, the move from darkness, that there was darkness, but God brings light. And we looked at, at the, the notion that, that creation was chaotic. But in that chaos, God brought it to order. And then last week, we looked at, at the fact that, that it tells us in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, that, that the creation was empty, kind of meaningless, pointless, purposeless. But God filled it in Genesis 1. And we looked at the way that, that, that we're introduced to those things in the scriptures, but then we're told more about them as we go through the rest of the story. <clears throat> and we're going to do the same thing today. So we're gonna, we want to look at, at, at the initial condition, the early condition, and then we're going to look at what the scriptures say about it, and then we're, we're going to see as well how it's, it's ultimately fulfilled or finalized when God makes all things new. But today we're going to start in Genesis chapter 2. We're going to start in Genesis. If you have your Bible, we're going we're gonna, to uh, slip through a few things. Genesis chapter 2. It tells us in verse 15, it says, the Lord God took the man, so we, we looked at the last few weeks, the order of creation in Genesis 1. In Genesis chapter 2, it's more intimate look. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. It's the first reference to death in the Bible. Okay? That, that here's this, there's, a, there's something that, that if it takes place, that you're going to die. Now, it's important at this point, too, that we pause for a minute and understand how how um, the, the, the Hebrew reader, the, the, the original audience that this, this would have been intended for, would have understood the, the idea of death. Um, death certainly meant like the end of vitality, the end of life. But it meant more to them. Um, the, the, the idea of death comes from an idea of separation, being separated. And so for, for them, they would have understood death in this context and, and in others to mean, yes, like the separation from, from vitality, from, from just my life, but also it would have been, they could have talked, used this as a separation from others, that I'm, I'm, I'm separate, I'm alone. They could have, they could have uh, t uh, it came to be known as the separation of the body and the spirit became the, the definition that they used for death, that my body and my spirit were separated and that became a working definition of death. Um, and it, but in the scriptures, we also understand this, and when we, we can look at this passage and understand that with what we're about to see, that, that this also, it's a separation from us and our creator. That, that it, what, what, what the consequence here is that, that we're gonna see, 
when they take the fruit is that they're separated from God. So keep looking one chapter later in Genesis chapter three, and we, we sort of know this story. We've probably heard this before in some version or some version of it. In, in Genesis chapter three, we'll just start in verse two. It says, the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. And she says, neither shall you touch it, which is, in, is added to what we just saw in Genesis chapter two, lest you die. So the woman took the command that God had given them, Okay? The, 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 we, we know in this passage as well that Adam is present when, when she says these things. So, so the woman says to the serpent, she says to the tempter, look, there, we've got, God's given us lots of freedom. There's only one thing we can't do, and we can't eat of this tree. And then they've, they've said, like, probably in human thinking, uh, we're going to keep a safe like, barrier from that tree. We're not even going to touch that tree. We're going to leave that tree alone. Okay? Verse 4, the serpent says, the woman, you will not surely die. Okay? Now, we can hear that in a lot of different ways, um, and, uh, and, and there's a, a lot to take out of that, but certainly this is a lie, right? This is a direct lie in contrast to what God had told them, that if, if you eat of this tree, you're going to die. And he says, you're not, you surely won't die. Verse 5 goes on. He says, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So the, the serpent here attacks the word of God with, it's, and it's a pretty effective lie because the reality of the situation is when they take the fruit, some of the things that are true about death, some of the, the places where we, we, the ways we think about it, they don't occur, not in that moment, right? When they take the fruit, their, their heart continues to beat. They continue to breathe. They don't drop dead in the moment, okay? And so that, and there's, no, there's no immediate immediacy to that. So he toys with the words. They still have, if they, if they take the fruit, they're still going to have their, their vitality. They're still going to have each other. Um, they, they won't be separated from one another, although, I mean, they will figuratively, but not physically, literally. Um, and their body's spirit would still be together. So no matter which way you sort of slice this and dice this in the understanding, Satan is, or the tempter here has played with the words in a way that they take the fruit. And we kind of know the story from here, right? They take the fruit. God steps in. They, they know immediately that they've done something wrong. They recognize their nakedness. They go about doing certain things, but then God steps in and he finds them in the garden and he gives, he gives consequences for these things. He gives consequences. And we find in the consequences, he speaks first, he goes down the list, and the last one he gives the consequences to or the, is the man, is to Adam, and he gives this, this is the last thing. There's more to it than this, but I want you to just see this in verse 19. In chapter three, by the sweat of your face, God says to Adam, you shall eat bread. This is gonna be hard work. Then he says, till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Okay? And so while he says, there's, there's, there, you're, not, you're not going to die in the moment, death becomes inevitable. Okay? Death becomes inevitable. It's death and taxes, right? These two inevitabilities in life. And it's, it's critical, it's important that we understand that we don't confuse the delay uh, as a lack of consequence. That the fact that they didn't die in the moment doesn't mean that death wasn't real. Because it's so easy to do that because, because we experience the very same thing that Adam and Eve experienced, right? We know good from, from bad. We know right from wrong. We, we take the proverbial fruit. And yet, I... You know, the lightning hasn't struck me yet. The hole in the ground hasn't opened up and swallowed me yet. 
And so it's easy and tempting for us to believe that this death thing, that this death thing is just kind of talk, that, that, that it's not necessarily real, that it's possible that what we're talking about here isn't actual death. But the reality of, this, of the situation is this, and, and again, it's important that we don't confuse delay with the, uh, with the removal of the consequence. That for each of us, our sin brings about the very same death that was brought about in Adam and Eve's. Ultimately, it does end our vitality, our lives. This life, this physical life will end. Save for two, two men we read about in the Old Testament, all have died, all have passed on. It also doesn't mean it also means that, that because of this, there's a death in our relationships, that, that our connectedness to one another is threatened because of our sin, that, that, that the connectedness we ought to have is corrupted because of our sin. It means that ultimately, a time will come where our vitality is gone and our spirit and our body is separated, but it, all, but it primarily does mean this. It means that from the very first moment when we assert our will, from the, from the moment where, where we begin to defy God, we are separated from him. It's a condition we're born with, we call it sin. It's the same condition we read about in Adam and Eve, the, the condition that, that want, they wanted to, the fruit, they took the fruit, and something changed, something altered to where the, the, the universe was now bent in a particular direction, and that bend is away from God. And if anything that's moving away from God is moving towards death. We call that bend sin. We call it sin. <clears throat> and it exists throughout all of the scriptures. We're gonna, I'm gonna jump ahead a little bit here to uh, John chapter 11. Because the primary thing that Jesus set out to do was to do something about that bend to do something about the bend in reality, the bend in the universe, the bend that we all have that causes us to want to go our own way, that causes us to put ourselves first and put others aside. Jesus came to do something about that because the consequence of that is death. It's a very real death. It's a, it is a physical death, but it's also a spiritual death. It's a death that separates us from God. And so the mission and the purpose of Jesus was to do something about that. He says about himself in John chapter 11, um, this is preview of coming events. We're gonna talk about this in greater detail this spring here at LCC, but, but, but I wanna see, just see these words. John chapter 11, verse 25 says, Jesus said to her, he's, he's, this is at, at Lazarus' death, he's talking to his sister, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? I love when Jesus would just go like, do you, do you get what I'm saying? I, th I think those are indications like put a bookmark in that one, right? Highlight that one. Because he just asked something that he himself believes is critical. You get to catch this? He says, he says, life is found in me. There's a lot, of, a lot of opportunities to go look for things that you think are gonna bring life, but life is found in me. And whoever believes in me, he says, and that word belief is, is, is tied, it's, it's the word faith. Whoever trusts in me, though they die physically, though their body and spirit separate, though their vitality comes to an end, they really live. 
They really live. And he's doing this in the, in, in the context of a dear friend and brother who was literally in the grave. And he's saying these words. And he says, everyone who lives and believes in me is never really going to die, is never really going to be separated, is never really going to be disintegrated in their world. They're going to be connected together with God and never die. Do you believe this? You see, the, the Bible isn't just about one thing, but it is just about one person. It's the fascinating thing about the scriptures. It talks about all areas of life. It gets into family. It gets into jobs. It gets into our pocketbooks and bank accounts in ways that we're not comfortable with. But it's not about all of those little topics. It's about the work that Jesus did to bring life to a dying and bent and broken universe of which those of us made in his image are the, the jewel in that crown of creation, the thing that goes beyond just the goodness of creation and makes creation so very good. Paul says this about it in, in 1 Corinthians 15, talking about the resurrection. He says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He's the first fruits or the very first one of those who've fallen asleep or those who have died. For as by a man came death, through Adam came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. So through one man comes death, through another man, Jesus, comes the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ, get this, shall all be made alive. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet, the last enemy to be destroyed. Get this, is death. You see, death is our enemy, okay? We need to be careful because when Jesus says to us that, that, that if you believe in him, you never really die, it can be tempting to sort, of, to sort of view death through a lens that says death is advantageous to life. That's not the case. Look at what it tells us here in, in 1 Corinthians. Death is an enemy. But it also tells us more than that because it tells us that death is a defeated enemy. It's an enemy, but it's an enemy that we don't have to be afraid of because of the work that Christ did. And you see, the movement that goes on, the move from one thing to another that we read about in the work of Christ is the move from this death or separation from God to life and being tied back in together with him. Paul writes again to Timothy, he says this, don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Even he's, he's going to say this. I, I put, made sure I attached that here and started at that point. What, what he's about to say is that all of this is in the context of, my life kind of stinks. I'm suffering. Anybody else in the room feel like you've got some suffering going on right now? Is there tough stuff that we're dealing with? Does it feel like it's all bent and broken and nothing is good? I, I'll be honest. Like, There's just things in my life and in my world that are, that are challenging. And it doesn't feel like life all the time. Paul's saying, like, look, I'm suffering, and, and you're sharing in that suffering. Verse 9. Um, sorry, su sharing in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. This is, man, we could get into this, right? Like all of this purpose, all of this, this is, this, this is the series, right? At the very beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, 
and the earth was formless and empty and darkness was everywhere. Before all of that, did you catch what Paul's writing here? Before all of that, God had a purpose and a grace through Christ already mapped out. It's like it was, it was said and done already. That's, it's, it's, just, it's just a powerful reality. Verse 10. But it's not our point this morning. But it's a nice point. Verse 10. Now, Christ had a purpose, sorry, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, get this, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Catch this? The, the message of the gospel, the gospel is the good news, the good news that comes because we have the truth, the living truth, is that Christ has made it so that this life and the accompanying inevitable death is not the end. The trouble of this world, the brokenness of this universe, the sin that, we, that, that, that leaves its consequences on everything, including our mortal lives, it doesn't get the last word. Christ gets the last word. He had a purpose to bring grace. And it brings life and immortality. I think that's fascinating, right? Because life isn't just vitality. It's not just my heart beating, my brain moving. There's more to it than that. There's life and there's immortality. And he brought it to light through the message of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And one last, just to see the end of this story. This is Revelation 21. We've seen this pattern with each one of these movements from one thing to something else, is that a time is coming, a, a, a real place, a real time is coming where the conditions of this world that we're moving from are complete. <clears throat> so look at Revelation 21 with me. Verse three, it says, it says, I, and this is John the author, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and get this, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. You see, you get this. Ultimately, the story in the scriptures, the ultimate story in the scriptures, the end of the story is a move that goes from from a creation that is bent and broken by sin that, that results in death to a new creation where death is no more. Its defeat isn't just a matter of faith. Its, its defeat is a matter of experience. That's what's waiting for those who believe. It's one of the most powerful messages in all of the scriptures. In the scriptures that give us so many powerful messages... <laughs> Victory over death, the scriptures tell us, is the last enemy to be defeated. It's the, it's the last enemy. It's, it's the big boss in the video game, right? That we beat. And not because of our own strength and power, but we kind of have to stick with the video game like a cheat code here, right? We've been granted something. And we want to take a, with the time we have left, we want to take a, a, a look at this a little further. 
as I said, the, the Bible has so many things that it says. It touches on so many aspects of life. But every one of those things that it says about all the aspects of life is infused with this truth. Apart from God, those things are dead. They're dark, they're chaotic, they're empty, but ultimately they're just dead. They don't bring about life, they don't possess it, they don't have it. They are all moving in a particular direction and that direction is away from the source of life and it ultimately results in death. But Jesus, right? But Jesus, he's defeated it. He's done something about it. The Bible is about the work of, of, of him, the one person. He happens to be God in the flesh and he gave himself so we could ultimately live with him and his father. So in the time that we have left, what do we do with this? Okay, what do we do with this? And I want to look at Ephesians chapter two. If you have a Bible, you can turn there and land with me. I'll put it on the screen as well. But Ephesians chapter two, it's another passage that we could, some of us in the room, we can sort of dismiss it through familiarity, right? Well, I know this. But look at this with these eyes, fresh eyes. Ephesians chapter two, it says this, what we've been saying Ephesians chapter two, verse one, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in, once you want, in, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work and the sons of disobedience. Catch this. Look, you were, notice it's past tense, right? You were. You were once dead. You were just walking a course. You were following a path through life. And that path, he says, is, is a path that, that and he also talks about the prince of the power of the air, which is a fascinating way to think about this, right? There's a, there's a power in the air that we just sort of breathe it in, everything around us. We just walked in it. We lived in it, an environment. But we were dead in it. We were dead. We were in this sin. And he picks up, we'll pick up him up in verse three, among whom, these sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we're by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. You catch this? We were just doing what came naturally. You want to know how to like, avoid God? Just do what comes naturally to you. You don't have to work hard. Just do whatever feels good in that moment. Respond with anger. That's great. It's also the opposite of the spirit in us. Go ahead, be greedy and selfish. Yeah, get yours. That's, that's just doing what comes naturally. And what Paul argues here to the church in Ephesus is he says this. All of us, this is the thing. It's easy for us to look at other people doing those things and go, yeah, sons of disobedience, walking in the flesh. What Paul says is this. No, that's us. We did this. It's who we were. Thank God it's past tense, but it's who we were. We ought not to, to, to feel like we're so, so far removed from this. It's, what, it's what, who we are, what we are in our natural state. So when we think about this, just to summarize, what's the point where we're talking about? Well, we all walked in death. That's the first point. We all walked in death. Every one of us. It's not like, it's not like Adam did something and now suddenly like, it's all cast upon me. No, I do the very same thing Adam and Eve did. 
I'm told by God, don't touch that, don't eat that fruit. It's there, you can see it, don't eat it. And I go, mm, I'm going to take it. I'm going to eat the fruit. It looks good. It appeals to me. So I want to go back to the day where maybe I almost died in the back of the red Ford pickup truck for a second, okay? And here's the thing. Before that day, I really disliked him. I told you, like, he was my, as, much, as big a nemesis as an 11, 12-year-old can have, he was my nemesis. I walked with a lot of anger towards him. He drove me nuts. I don't know how to put it. We'll say more about that in just a minute. But keep reading Ephesians 2. Verse 4 says this. There's a big but in Ephesians 2, verse 4. But God. So we were, you were dead in your sin, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us. What motivates God to, to position himself towards us in a way that gives us mercy? He loves us. The rotten, filthy sinners that we are on our own. He loves us. Verse five, even when we were dead in our trespasses, right? Like he loves us at that point. He made us alive together in Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. You catch this? We were dead in our sins. That's where we start. Where are, where are we from? Well, we're from death. In a spiritual sense, that's our starting point. That's our point of origin. We're dead. We're separated. We're separated from all that's good. We're bent in a way that moves us, pushes us away from God. But because he loved us, together with the work of Christ, the work has been done so that we no longer are from that place. We're now, we now have a new point of origin. And here's the, the fascinating thing about this. I'm telling you, I, did, I didn't like Tim. And then when that hand grabbed my leg, and at bare minimum, he caused, or he, he, he brought about saving me from a lot of pain, it happened. Like, it. it I had no argument to make. Tim did it. No one else did it. I mean, he sort of miraculously kept me from getting hurt. I don't know how an 11, 12-year-old kid is able to do that with one arm on one leg, but I, I promise you it happened. I'll tell you what, I felt really differently about him. <laughs> all the stuff, all the things I'd felt about him, all the anger I had towards him for whatever petty reasons I would have had in boyhood, they didn't really matter at that point in time. I can't tell you how grateful I was. He, he had, in, in my estimation at that point in time, he'd saved my life. I owed him my life. And in the same way, except on a grand, infinite scale, God's gift to us, he's the hand 
with, on our leg, keeping us from death. We're flying out the back of the truck into an eternal separation from him, and in Christ, he grabs our leg. We're hanging precariously over the consequences of our sin, but God, through Christ, has got a hold of us. It's past tense. It happened. I can't undo it. He did it for me. He's got me. I'm not going to fall. How much more gratitude should we have for him? He's moved us from certain death to unlimited life. So how does it happen? How do we access it? And that's the beauty of Ephesians 2, right? Where it says in verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. We memorize these words when we're, you know, we ask our kids and kids' life to do this. But because they're so critical. It's God's grace that saves us and we access it by faith. Remember that word belief earlier? We believe in Jesus. When Jesus asked in John 11, do you believe this? This is what we're asked to do is, is to trust him with it. Not just to accept that this is the nature of the universe, but to actually say, my life is held by you. I'm hanging over certain death and you've got me. And you're not gonna let go. It's his grace that we trust it's not our own doing. We can't, like, again, I, I couldn't get my, I was going like, to hit the pavement. We're going to hit certain death. We can't do anything about it without him. There's no hope. Verse nine, it's not a result of our works. We didn't, we can't do, we didn't do this it's so that no one can boast. We can't, we, no one can say, I, I did this for me. I made this happen. I caught myself from falling out the back of the truck. But there's one more trick in this. Doggone it, I'm still bent. You know how long my gratitude for Tim lasted? I think by the next day, I was probably ready to slap him around again, or at least attempt to. I, I continued to have a hostile relationship with him, even though he had saved me all that hurt and pain because I'm bent. I'm broken. So you see, there's still this thing. There's still this thing. The work of God is done, okay? The work of God is done. Notice everything at this point has been past tense. It has happened. You have been saved. Now look at verse 10. But look at what we are. For you are, we are his workmanship. We're his, his fine artisan craft that he's fashioned together. We were created in Jesus for good, to do good things, which God prepared that we should do them. Remember, this goes right back to before creation, this plan was in place. The grace of God had a purpose. 
but we need to come to it. It's here, it's there. We, we have to trust it. And what Paul's saying here in Ephesians is we have to trust it to access the grace of God, but we continue to trust it that we are his workmanship. That he didn't just leave us hanging dangerously over the pit until someday when we get a better position. He's pulled us back up with him and put his arm around us and said, you're it. I love you. I have a purpose for you. I give you life. Not just life that, that, that doesn't end, not just, not just maintaining the vitality of your soul, but life, purpose, now. The things that you do have meaning because I am in them with you. You're my workmanship, he says. What an incredible, amazing reality. I just want to close with this. This grace is received when we trust him. This reality becomes true when we not only acknowledge who he is, but we, we say, you, I believe you've got me. I'm with you. I know you're for me. I know you love me. And I'm turning to you how can we have it? We call out to God and acknowledge, repent of my bentness, my brokenness, my flesh. I am bent away from you, God. And trust that Christ has made a way for me to have real life. He's made a way for it to be right. I'm gonna pray. And when I do, I realize we don't, we don't do altar calls here. We don't do stand up if you want to accept Jesus. But I'm going to pray right now and I'm going to, to ask. The band is going to join us and play softly. But I'm, I'm going to ask that if, if this is the morning, this is the first time where you've, you've heard about this bentness or maybe you've heard it before but this brokenness, this sin. But you, you're sitting in a spot where you would say, I'm not sure that I've ever told Jesus I trust him. I'm not sure that I, I have this relationship with God that moves me from death to life. I'm gonna pray now, and I'm gonna ask whether you're at home or you're here. If you want this life, would you pray with me? Would you pray with me? Let's pray. Father, We, um, we thank you for all that you've done for us. And we realize how big it all is. And God, we, um, we stop this morning and we're gonna pray and ask, Lord, we know that we're sinners. We acknowledge that we are broken and that our our flesh and our nature controls us. But we also know that you've made it so that it doesn't have to be that way through Jesus. Christ, we thank you for coming for us, for making it possible that death doesn't have to be the end. And Christ, we trust you. We believe that, that you are everything you say that you are. You are God and you are our savior and you 
make it possible for us to have life. And so, Lord, we, we ask this morning that, that our faith would be made whole. We thank you, Jesus, for what you've done. We thank you, Father, for, for having this purpose and plan and grace. And we thank you, Spirit, for showing us the truth. And would you be with us now as we pray in Christ's name, amen.